Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. So I'm just going to share my heart with you. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a teaching and a little bit of preaching. Uh, if you don't really know what that means, it, I'm just going to break down scripture a bit, but then I'm going to get into some application uh, uh, in it as well. Uh, this is a message the Lord put on my heart here uh, prior to me leaving town, and it's called Push. Something that I'm realizing is <clears throat> what is occurring spiritually right now. We are really experiencing a satanic onslaught uh, at a very deep uh, level right now. So me and Lorana has been dealing with numerous individuals, whether it be individuals, uh, family units, marital units. Uh, we have been walking with quite a few individuals that is just going through a really heavy satanic onslaught. I think it's safe to say when you look at the news, we see a very heavy uh, satanic onslaught. Over the past, you know, year, year and a half, I think it's safe to say we've experienced a very heavy satanic uh, onslaught. Now, these seasons do come and they do change. It's not that we are always under such heavy satanic onslaught. And you as an individual, you might be in a position right now where this is not your case because it's not that everybody experiences this at the same time. But with that being said, there are seasons that we enter into where the enemy has a plan and has a purpose to really hinder what God is doing in a land, what God is doing in communities of faith, what God is doing in families, and what God is doing in individuals. And that is what's occurring right now. The enemy is really trying to stop something that God is doing in people's lives or what God is planning to do uh, in the future. So what I want us to look at is I want us to look at Paul the Apostle's life. And I want us to see some battles that he went through, but yet I want us to see how he has persevered. So the reason this is titled Push is because if there's one thing I can tell you in a very general rule about spiritual warfare or about being under an attack, it's to simply push through. Look at someone and say, push through. I cannot necessarily give you a lot of generalization about satanic attack because oftentimes what we have to do is very individualized because the battles are individualized. Yes, I can tell you to read your word, obey the word, praise the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But if there's one thing that really works that I can say to everybody that I've applied to my own life, it's no matter the, the attack, make up your mind, settle in your heart, and choose it in your choices that you are going to push through. Look at someone one more time and say, we got to push through. Yes. 
The enemy will never accomplish his task when we choose and we carry out pushing through. He will never, never win. He'll never accomplish when we continue to push. So let me, let me move on. Let's, let's look at Paul's life. Now, I'm not going to give you verses because we're kind of all over the map a little bit, at least in the book of Acts. So I'm just going to give you the chapter for you, just to con- uh, for you just to remember in your mind, and we're just going to touch on it because there's a lot of details here that I don't want to uh, uh, keep you too long with. So Paul, as you know, was a great, was a great apostle. He was used by God in a very, very powerful way. He wrote about 28% of the New Testament. He came into an apostle by a supernatural experience with God. Before he was an apostle, he was a, basically a religious murderer. So he had numerous Christians, numerous, hundreds, even maybe thousands of followers of Jesus persecuted and killed prior to his conversion to Jesus Christ. But it came a point in his life where he had an encounter with God. And out of this encounter came one of the most radical, one of the most hardcore, one of the most consistent, and one of the most persevering followers of Jesus Christ, servants of God, that you will find in all of Scripture. He really blows my mind in the context of perseverance because of everything that he went through. To be very honest with you, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could go through what he went through and keep the same level of faith and maintain the same level of consistency as far as his ministry unto the Jews and his ministry unto the Gentiles. But yet he had a heart and he had a grace and his heart was connected, was deeply connected with God and his grace was heavily influenced by Jesus Christ and the grace that Jesus Christ had to go through what he went through. So let's look at some of these things. So Paul basically began preaching in Acts chapter 9. He began to preach in Damascus and he began to experience a great revival immediately. So we went and he began to preach the word, and as he began to preach the word, people began to turn to Jesus Christ. They began to change their life. There was just a movement of God happening, and as this began to occur, two other things began to happen. Number one, there was a devised plot to kill him. The religion of that day didn't play any games. It was either they were for you or they were against you. And if they were against you, you was on dangerous ground. And they were against Paul because of his preaching and because of his belief. So his first step into ministry resulted in a plot to kill him. But not only was there a plot to kill him, there was a mistrust and an unacceptance from other Christians which was understandable. We have to remember that Paul came into the Christian scene with a very deep, dark, and dangerous reputation. He came onto the Christian scene with a reputation of being a murderer, of being the leader of a group of people that had hundreds of Christians persecuted, killed, stoned, 
And so there was an offset to believers and the other apostles receiving him as he was. So, so can you imagine, his first array into ministry resulted in a plot to kill him. Can you imagine taking a job and your first week on the job, you have the outcome of people wanting to kill you? Not just fire you, I mean they want to kill you. They were, and they got a scheme and they got a plan. So he gets off work at 6 o'clock. We're going to hide out in our cars in the parking lot. Person A is going to walk and get his attention. Person B is going to be at the end of a parking lot, hiding in a trunk with a little hole poked through the keyhole. And then you're going to snipe him with a 22. That's not in my mind. People have actually done that. That's how I, uh, I don't have a demented uh, imagination. Uh, but anyway... Can you imagine it? There was a plot to kill him. And then the people that you thought would be on your side, the people that you thought would have your back, rejected you, turned against you. For the average Joe, that would be a thought, well, maybe I'm in the wrong business. Maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe that vision was just a bad case of what I ate and drank the night before. The wine fermented a little too long this time around. But no, he knew it was God. He knew his purpose. He knew his plan. And he made a choice to push through. So he moved on to a next place. And we, he moved on to a place called Antioch. And in Antioch, people gathered in crowds at his preaching. And again, there was people that accepted and people received it, but then there was this segment of individuals that hated it, and they opposed him. And they didn't only just plan to kill him, but they literally physically kicked him out of the city, and they stirred up persecution against him. So they would talk to one another, and people would talk to other people, and other people would talk to other people, and they stirred up a, perse a persecution against him, and they kicked him out of the city. And then he moved on to another place where he again began to preach, and God began to use him. And people rose up, and they began to make a plan against him. They began to make a plan to stone him, to kill him. A very interesting theme in Paul's life. He would preach. People would get saved. People would get healed. Religious people would rise up, kick him out of the city, plan to kill him, plan to stone him, reject him. And it went on and on and on through his, through his ministry. For there was either a plan to kill him, a plan to stone him, a plan to kick him out or to kick him out. After this experience... We see that he fled. Now, he was smart. He knew he wasn't to stay, so he left this area so he wouldn't be stoned. And he moved on to another area, and in this area, he actually healed a man that was lame. Now, some of the Jews came from the city that he just left that had planned to stone him, came down into this city called Lystra, and they again created 
a plan, created a plot, riled up a number of other people against him. And this time around, they actually stoned him. And they left him for dead. And I want to read you this part. It's Acts 14, verses 19 through 22. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then, get this, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So, so get this. They was in a place. They healed somebody. They, they, they had people coming to the Lord. And he was stoned and he was left for dead. So there is a possibility that he did die. Or there's the possibility that he was just knocked unconscious. And what we have to realize is the process of stoning back in the day was not individuals getting up, grabbing pebbles, or grabbing golf-sized rocks, and just throwing and chunking. No, the process was the person being stoned would be knocked to the ground, then the individuals involved in the stoning would grab up what we would call boulders. Boulders is anything that is the size of a volleyball or bigger. And they would grab up boulders and they would literally throw the boulders into the body of the person being stoned. Now, I've been hit with rocks. I haven't ever been hit with a boulder. I've landed on boulders, mountain, mountain biking and dirt biking, and man, landing on a boulder when you're going pretty fast on a two-wheeled machine hurts really bad. I can only imagine someone picking up a boulder and slamming them into your skull, slamming them into your chest, slamming them into your, into your joints, into your knees, into your elbows, into your hands. They absolutely want to debilitate you. They absolutely want to disable you. And they absolutely want to kill you. So they stoned him, and in their mind, he was dead. So they left. The disciples gathered around him. And then the Bible says that he got up. My mind goes a little crazy at this point. He got up. Did he get up because his anointing was so great that even though his bones was broken, his bones began to shift back into place? Was the anointing and the gift of God so powerful in his life that even though his skull was crushed in, the bones and the fragments of his skull begin to pop back into place and his skin begin to go back in place? 
Was he so anointed that even though his skin was ripped and there was gashes and the blood was flowing, that his skin began to get pieced back together by the supernatural power of God because God wasn't finished with him. And there's a little message in a message here for you that if God ain't finished with you, it doesn't matter if someone wants to assassinate you, if someone wants to stone you, if someone wants to persecute you, if someone wants to break you, if someone wants to hurt you, if God ain't finished with you, nobody can do anything to you that God don't restore you in the midst of you pushing through. Amen? Look at somebody and say, I ain't getting stoned. You can go ahead and laugh. There's a little extra funny in that. Not today, Satan. Not tomorrow, not the next day. I ain't getting stoned. Or, the Bible says the disciples gathered around them, him. It doesn't say what occurred. It doesn't say what happened. Did the disciples begin to pray? Was the disciples in awe? Was the disciples freaking out? Was the disciples thinking, wow, look at him. This could happen to us. We don't know what happened. I wish we knew what happened. But all we know is he got up. Now that's part one. And part two blows my mind. The average Joe would be like, I'm up and I'm out of here, sucker. No. Where did he go? He went back to the place that got him stoned in the first place. He went back to the other two cities where they tried to stone him, but he ran away from. He had such a level of perseverance and tenacity and this heart to push through no matter what happened to him. Then we move on to after, after, Acts chapter 16. Very, very up and down, roller coaster ride of an experience here for Paul. He was seized, him and Silas. He was seized by the authorities because, again, ministry. The Bible says that they were stripped, most likely partially naked, not wholly naked, not completely naked, because that was absolute taboo back in the day. He was beaten with a rod. Now, there was two types of beatings that usually occurred. There was the beaten with leather with straps, and then there was the beaten with the rod. When you was beaten with straps, it was more of an affliction of pain. But when you was beaten with a rod, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, the outcome of being beat with rods was death because of the severity of what it does to someone's body. So you look in Scripture, and Scripture actually does say that they were severely flogged. Severely. The word says severely flogged. So in other words, it lets us know that they were beat to a point that for other people, some have died. So they were stripped. They were beaten possibly to the point of death. And then they were imprisoned. 
Some historians say that in their prison cell, we know they were locked up, they were chained up because what's about to happen. Some say that they were hung on a wall. We, we, we don't know how legitimate that is. It, it, it rings true for a good imagination, that, you know, hanging on a wall. But we do know that they was in prison, so they were, they were severely flogged. Completely a pile of just blood and flesh chained and locked up, and they made a choice to push through simply by praising the Lord. The Bible says they, beat the, they begin to sing praises unto the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've been beaten or not. I've been beaten. I've been beaten in a fight. I've been beaten by my mama. I've been beaten by my daddy. been beaten by my wife. She gives the worst lickings. I'm just kidding, just kidding. It zaps your energy. It zaps your, your heart. It just, it just takes everything out of you. But these guys, instead of being zapped, instead of giving up, instead of quitting, they did all that they could do. They began to sing praises unto the Lord. Sometimes that's all you can do. And that's why it's important to come to church when you don't have nothing to do because what you can do is praise the Lord when the music is going on. So many people ask me, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so oftentimes, the last thing that people do when they ask me that is come to church, but coming to church should be the first thing that you do when you don't know what to do. Because if you don't know what to do, the least that you can do is do a little praise unto the Lord. Can I get it right on? They literally couldn't do anything else. They couldn't read the Bible. They didn't, they didn't have a Bible, literally. They didn't have no scrolls with them. They were chained up. Yeah, they could have prayed, but they chose to praise. And they began to sing unto the Lord. And the Bible says at midnight, there was an earthquake. The chains fell off. The doors opened. They had a chance to go free, but yet they remained. The prison guard woke up. He was asleep. That probably was a big no-no for the Roman soldier. And he saw the doors open and he immediately thought that they had ran out. And back in those days, if you lost a prisoner, that means your life is lost as well. So he was about to kill himself. And this is the Bible says this. But then Paul and Silas called out, no, no, no. We are here. We are all here. They could have fled, but they stayed. Nothing was keeping them back except for something in their spirit. They stayed. And what happened is they end up leading that soldier and his whole family to the Lord. They sacrificed their freedom. They sacrificed the potential of them being beat worse. For the sake of that soldier and his family. But then the Bible does say that the next day they were let go. He persevered. He pushed through. 
He didn't allow circumstance, loss, pain, setback, rejection, hurt, or anything to set him back for what God was doing in his life. Paul actually spent between five and a half and six years in prison. According to Christian history, he was beheaded in Rome during Nero's reign. What's very interesting is what was said of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Let me read it to you. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Think of that. Five times he received 40 lashes minus one. That's a lot of lickings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. This is a moment for me where my my, my jaw drops, I'm bug-eyed, and I'm like, wow. I'm looking, I'm reading about a superhero here. A superhero that is no different than you or I. A man of flesh, a man of a natural mind, a man with God-created organs. whose only difference than you and I is choice. He made a choice to push through. And one of the things that blows my mind and, and, and causes me to see him almost as a New Testament superman is what he said in verse 29. I do not feel weak and I do not inwardly burn. Out of everything he went through, the word feel is, is giant right here. Out of everything he went through, he didn't feel weak. Didn't say whether he was weak or not. He said, I don't feel weak. And out of everything he went through, he did not use it as an excuse to allow sin to reign in his life. He said it right here at the very end of verse 29. 
in the context of the church, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. He was talking about the burning temptation and the burning desire of sin that sometimes we have. And some people use their troubles, they use their sorrow, they use their loss, they use the fact that God didn't answer a prayer like they wanted them to as an excuse and as a reason to sin. God didn't do this for me, so I'm going to go to my past. God didn't do this for me, so I'm going to do this. God didn't do this for me, so I'm going to choose this. But Paul, he went through hell on earth, and he said, I don't feel weak, and I don't have the desire of sin burning in me. Because he pushed. He pushed with faith. He pushed, continued to love him, being committed and connected and honoring and being a servant of Almighty God. Even under satanic hindrance, he pushed through. Can we say the same? Yes, some of you are being attacked. Yes, some of you are being tempted. Yes, there's choices that has to be made. And yes, you're going through some things that you did not choose yourself. But would you so be willing to just push through? Just push. Just push. Don't back up. Don't back down. Don't drop your fist. Don't quit. Don't stop. But just push. Push with your praises. Push with your prayer. Push with your giving. Push with your commitment. Push with honoring God. Push with your believing in the Lord. Push and waiting on the Lord because you know the Bible says those that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with the wings of an eagle. Push. Look at somebody and say, push. Let me give you a little bit of application. Push. An acronym for persevere under satanic hindrance. P, persevere through it all. Through pain, through sorrow, through confusion, through loss, through anything. Persevere. And I can promise you this, not because I'm preaching, but because I've been there, done that, and bought a bunch of t-shirts. It will be worth it. I persevere in my marriage because it will be worth it. I persevere as a son of God as opposed to a son of sin because it will be worth it. I persevere in my praise, in my prayer, and my time of getting into the Word because I know it will be worth it. Whatever I have to do, I persevere in doing it because I know it will be worth it in the end. And if it's not worth it to me here on earth, guess where it will be worth it to me at? After I'm placed six foot under. It will be worth it to me because I'll be in heaven with my salvation intact. 
and being made a new creature, a new creation in a new land. Amen? You, under, the attacks will come. Some will be harder than others. Satanic attacks. We will be under satanic attacks. That's where the under comes. It just doesn't matter. It does. Some, you've heard some people say, oh, it just happens to the Christian. No, it happens to everybody because, everybody because Satan hates everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. If you're a believer or not a believer, Satan's going to come in and destroy you. It just so happens it happens a little differently and it might happen more often if we're children of God. But it's, we are going to be under attack and we have to remind ourselves where it comes from. Remember, the Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities of darkness. Your spouse might be your issue, but he's not or she's not the root of your issue. Your boss might be the issue, but they are not the root of the issue. Your past issues might be an issue, but they are not the root of your issue. You might be dealing with weakness and temptation. Yes, it's an issue, but it's not the root of your issue. We fight against the principalities of evil, of darkness. We consistently fight against the works of the enemy. And if you know that, and if you're reminded of that, and if you remember it, then you know that you don't have to fight the spouse, but you've got to fight the satanic influence that your spouse is being influenced by. Amen? Same way with the boss, same way with the finances, same way with any issue. If you know where the attack is truly coming from, then that's where you start at. And it's not to say you don't work things out with people. That's not what I'm saying. You have to work things out with your spouse. You have to work things out with your boss. You have to work things out with other people. You have to work things out in your body and so forth. But all I'm saying is know where the attacks are are coming from so you know what to hit first. Amen? Yes, satanic. This kind of, I already just kind of hit this, so know where the fight is coming from. We'll move on, because I, I, I killed two birds with one stone there. H, hindrance. Satan it's trying to hinder God's plan for you. It's that simple. God's plan is good. God's plan is to bless. God's plan is to do great things in you, for you, with you, through you. The Bible says that God knows the plan that he has for us. And it's a plan to bless us. It's a plan to prosper us. It's not a plan to do us harm, but it's a plan to do us good. And Satan hates that. And Satan tries everything that he possibly can to hinder the plan of God in our life. Now, our worship team's coming.
And let me give you a little departing direction. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks. Thank you.